Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. My name's Jennifer. I'm an alcoholic, and my home group is Back to Basics Big Book Study in Burnsville, Minnesota. And we meet every Thursday night from 7 to 8.30. And after some readings and a quick presentation on a concept or a tradition, we hit the book and we go through it a paragraph at a time and try to take in the experience the first 100 had and uh, figure out how we can apply it in our own lives and have the same experience. Um, A friend of mine in the group lent me a line, so I will share it with you. I've been sober all day, and it ties the record. Nobody has done any better. My friend Gerald said, you can borrow something from my speech. <laughs> I said, thank you very much. But doing that, I have managed to tie that record for a little over seven years. And, um, you know, like a lot of other people here have already shared, it's I don't understand exactly how it works or why it works. I just know that, that I have been blessed enough to stumble into this solution and, and live this solution. Um, and I, and it's, it's, it's a process, you know, and I never get bored and I never f- figure out that I've, I know it all. I, I keep growing, I keep stumbling, I keep getting into pain and having new moments, new light bulb moments. Um, so for a little over seven years, I've, I've been working at living the solution and life just keeps getting better. So I'm very happy to be here. I wanted to thank the committee. I know this is a, a year round effort. Um, and I really appreciate it. The fact that you guys have been doing this for 35 years really says a lot for your dedication to service and your ability to carry the message here. So I'm really glad. I've been hearing about this roundup for, for a couple of years now, and I'm, I'm very glad to finally have made it. Um, I also thank all of you for picking me this morning over the fish and over your mothers. <laughs> I know there's some big opener going on. I didn't expect to have this many faces here. Um, the fact that I rest satisfaction from that means that I have to keep coming back. <laughs> because, <laughs> um, and I wanted to thank the, form, the speakers that have gone before me this weekend, um, Chris and Aaron and Ellie and the panel and John and Cindy. Um, you guys have filled me up, so I feel like... Um, Gosh, it does, it's not really going to be hard for me to flow this morning, I think, because I have heard so many wonderful things from you guys. It's so encouraging to hear my experience in people from other places. I, I have lost a lot of sponsees this year, and for a lot of different reasons, but, you know, the secret weapon gets going there. John's secret weapon, I love that. And I start to wonder, gee, am I really asking them to do too much, or gee, what if my sponsor's really all wet and I really don't have to do? Maybe this isn't the right way to go. Or, gee, and, um, you know, your mind starts working. And then I hear my experience in Chris up in Winnipeg and, and John and Cindy out in Montana and people from Superior and people from Grand Rapids and from all over the place. And they, this weekend, um, the speakers that have gone before me have worked this program like I have. And it's so reaffirming to me. It's like, yes, I am on the right path. And yes, this is the solution. And, and you know, I'm, in, I'm where I'm supposed to be doing what I'm supposed to do, learning what I'm supposed to learn. And so I thank you guys for that because I really needed reaffirming on that. Um, let's see, what else is there before I start? Oh, Mother's Day. Today's Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, everybody. Um, this happens to be a really special day for me. It's only become special to me in recovery. And we've heard a lot about moms and 
and uh, relationships this weekend with the other speakers. And the reason this day is such, has become such an important day for me is because it's, it's a day where I get to reflect um, in one very specific area how much I have changed and grown and in, in this program. Um, Mother's Day was a painful experience for me until I got into recovery, and I spent a lot of energy and time hating my mother and, um, and feeling sorry for myself. And um, and I, I would say if I wasn't so blessed to, to stumble into the doors as early as I did with just one toddler, I'm sure I would have thought of my kids as a noose around my neck. You know, oh, such an obligation, such a weight, and they're taking away from my agenda, I'm sure. And in, day, in moments I still think that, but basically what I realize every Mother's Day is how how much I've learned about loving and supporting my mom and recognizing and honoring her for what she has given me, not what she hasn't given me, and loving her unconditionally and being the daughter that, that, that my higher power wants me to be and, and, the, and the mom that my mom, that my mom, that my higher power wants me to be. I, I look at my kids as total gifts and, um, and, and my ability to be loving and kind and patient and tolerant and my continuous quest to do that. It's obviously not a done deal. It's a process, but um, it's not about what I can get on Mother's Day. What are you going to do for me? I deserve blah, blah, blah. It's thank you, God, for my family and for my kids and for my mom and, and the ability to love them and figure out um, how I can give back even on Mother's Day instead of what I deserve on Mother's Day. Um, it's just, it's, it's, I've gone a long way, and Mother's Day seems to highlight that. Um, to be able to be the daughter and the mom that God want, wants me to be is a total gift. Um, okay, I want to tell you a little bit about what I was like and um, how I got through the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous and, and what my life is like now. Oh, I forgot to look at my clock. Hold on. Okay. Um, I, I, was one of those very early out of the womb kind of alcoholics, I would guess, looking back. I, I didn't cross a line at a certain point in life. I came right out feeling different, dramatic, self-deprived, um, ostracized, poor me, poor me. Um, I was, I came from a fortunate background. I had two parents and siblings and dogs and cats and a nice house and a good education and, and family vacations and, um, I never appreciated any of it. It wasn't quite enough right from the start. Um, I always wanted more. I always felt entitled to more. I always felt, you know, like the victim. Um, and so from even before my, my drinking days, which happened when I was an early teen, I was busy uh, causing trouble and lying and trying to, trying to get what I needed right from the start. But um, my first drink was around... 11 or 12, I was uh, drinking malt duck apple flavor with the guys in the neighborhood that took apart motorcycles and put them back together again. And we'd roll down the soccer hills in the back of the school for an extra buzz, and, and all was right with the world. And, and I, didn't, I didn't really know it was a solution at the time. It was just what everybody did, and we had a great time. And I just had a great time, and I, it worked, so I did it for the, the t- next 25 years. Heck, why not? I mean, it started there, and it just kept going. Um, big bashes when parents were out of town, and I'd, I'd just drink until I barfed or I passed out or, you know, what we do. And um, and I liked it, and it worked. And I didn't know it was a solution at the time, but, I mean, I was just doing what everybody else was doing and having a good time at it. But I started then very early, and then I just basically 
stayed on that path for about 25 years. And lucky for you, I'm not going to go through that 24 years, 25 years. But I will tell you what my personality was like. Um, and this is a lot of this I've learned, I've, this perspective I've gained looking back after crawling into recovery. Um, but I love the way our book puts it. It's so succinct and it's so accurate. I was restless, irritable, and discontent from the moment I was born. My mom reminds me of that very often. <laughs> and she's very happy that I have one just like me. I was, telling, I was telling someone last night, my mom used to say, I hope you have ten kids just like you. <laughs> and, and, and I had one, at least one, as far as I can tell, just like me. And she's laughing all the way to the bank. But um, I was always bent out of shape. I was always angry. I was always fit to be tied about something right from the start. Um, and I didn't know at the time, but it was it was fear. It was that what we've heard from the wonderful speakers this weekend about wanting, needing to be perfect, needing to be accepted, needing to be loved, and not feeling that way, and not knowing what to do about it. And, um, and so you've got this restlessness and this irritability, and you start blaming everything and everybody for the fact that you're not where you should be or feel the way you should be. Um, so I tried... Just about everything, like like we've heard this weekend, I tried lying and creating. I just would create my life because my life wasn't good enough. I'd just tell lies until I really believed them. They were part of my history if I told them long enough. I tried stealing. I tried cheating. I tried the chameleon thing that we heard from um, Aaron and some of the others. You know, I want, I, I'd, be, uh, I'd hang with this group. I'd hang with that group. I'd be whatever you wanted me to be. I tried overachieving didn't work. I tried, I tried underachieving, just blowing it all off. That didn't work either. Um, I tried religion for a brief period of time. I, I had a Bible in one hand and a beer in the other going, to be alive and feeling free, you know. And it, didn't, it didn't stick. I'd come home with my Bible in my hand and I'd be swaying back and forth. And my mom said, have you been drinking? She'd lurk in the hallways in her bathrobe until two in the morning. And of course, this is the interesting thing about our perspective. I thought she was, she was on this planet to make my life miserable. And what I've come to understand is she was terrified for me. And going through that agony that I, as a mother, now appreciate, she must have been going through. Uh, you know, here I am. No, I'm just fine with my Bible in my hand. But anyway, I, I tried everything. I tried boys, lots of boys, and lots of men after boys when I got older. And, and that didn't work. I tried drugs. Hey, it was 70s, 60s and 70s. was try everything once. Um, Religion, rebelling, complying, you know, nothing really worked. And and I was always reaching out for something, and uh, nothing seemed to really work. And alcohol, like somebody else mentioned, was always there and was very comfortable and very fun. I was not the stay-at-home, drink-in-the-corner kind of person. I was the dance-on-the-tables-till-four-in-the-morning kind of person. And... Um, but so, you know, over all this time, what, what these efforts got me, did it get me some peace? Well, when I was drunk, I had some peace, but, um, you know, that fulfillment, that, that filling up that hole, no, no, it got me in trouble with the law more than once, uh, total loss of respect and trust of my family and my friends um, and my peers, uh, a lot of unwa several unwanted pregnancies, uh, abortions, um, putting myself in really dangerous positions, um, date rape, financial disaster. This is not in any particular order of, of importance. Um, terrible credit record. Um, instead of making myself feel better, in the end, I was in a total state of self-loathing. 
I was kind of like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I, I had no self-esteem, no self-worth. Uh, I just, like my sponsor likes to say, I just was unable to live with myself. My, I was not comfortable in my own skin. I couldn't stand myself. I, I, um, I managed to do one thing, though. I developed an incredible tolerance and dependence upon alcohol over all those years, and that became a bigger and bigger part of my life without me even knowing it. I had no idea. Um, so I was, I was uh, in that really bad space that everybody had shared this weekend. But I also, the ironic thing is, the more I felt that way on the inside, the Dr. and Jekyll Hyde thing, I was totally fine, thank you very much, to any, any of you. I was fine. I was great. I, 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 had, I had everything to give. I don't need your help. I have all the answers, blah, blah, blah. I mean, that's, we kind of split down the middle, and we're, we're dying inside. But I was just God's gift to the world on the outside. Hey, you know what? If, if you can't, if you don't like it, tough. You know, I was just kind of one of those, well, now I recognize it to be totally self-centered and self-absorbed, um, full of myself kind of person. But it's so weird how you can be that way on the outside and dying on the inside at the same time. I was pretty hot stuff. I was a high-functioning alcoholic. I went to good schools. I, I was, became a professional. I, I just was all just... A great person, a gift to the world. I thought it was magnanimous. I thought it was, oh, and somebody said it last night. I was so considerate and kind to everyone around me. I was just, and, and you know, <laughs> my fourth step was a rude awakening, all I can say. Um, <laughs> grandiosity and ego. Um, so, so, so I was restless, irritable, and discontent. I was becoming more and more self-sufficient, and thank you very much. I've got all the answers. I don't need any help, and I was dying inside. The other thing that I, I remember about those days is nothing was my fault. Absolutely nothing was my fault. Um, I was a victim a lot. I, uh, somebody was always screwing me over. Had nothing to do with me. I had bad luck. I had bad karma. The employer that fired me uh, just didn't know how women worked in the business world. You know, he, he didn't have an open mind to the female perspective. It couldn't have anything to do with the fact that I showed up late consistently or smelled like vodka or had bloodshed eyes or anything like that. Um, you know, I, I took a psych 101 course in college, and I discovered, oh, that's it. I have a dysfunctional family. I can blame it all on that. I blamed it on that for a long time. This is why I'm miserable. My family screwed me up. Thanks, Mom. You know, I, and I blamed her and them for so long. Um, my mom, like I said, was on this planet. Now, here's a self-centered thought. My mom was on this planet to ruin my life. She really was. Um, you know, I got pregnant. It was his fault. I got a DUI. Uh, you know, the speedometer was off. The idiot that told me to drive this truck forgot to tell me that the speedometer was off. Um, the judge threw the book at me. Well, her daughter was in an accident a couple weeks ago, and I look like her, so that's why I got screwed, you know. I mean, I, our minds are so incredibly slick. We can justify anything, and, every, you know, nothing was my fault or, or my part or my responsibility. Everything, I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time always. And I got pretty mad about that over the years. <laughs> I spent a lot of time being angry and self-righteous and indignant about it all. That takes a lot of energy. Um, the best example I can think of uh, later on was when my husband and I, my husband met me in 91, and he is what you would call a normie. And <clears throat> I didn't come into the rooms until 98. So he was with me for quite a few years there, and he had the most amazing innate Al-Anon wisdom. He's not part of a program, but he, 
he's kind of one of these matter-of-fact kind of guys. And when people would try to help me by handing me books and pamphlets, I'd throw them in a drawer. And he'd get them out of the drawer and he'd read them. And he knew years before I did that I was an alcoholic. And he just let me go. He just let me go on my path. A few, mo- a few comments I can remember over all those years. Gee, honey, think you want another one of those? But that's about it, except for one night. He, we were on the road, dead of winter, driving down the road in Peoria where we lived. And it was icy. And I was trying to pour vodka into a little flask to go somewhere that didn't have booze. I'm like, you know, well, I've got to fix this right away. So <laughs> I'm pouring the vodka into the bottle, and he's driving the car. And he just looks over at me, and he slams on the brakes and says, No, you are not going to do this tonight. And we did a 360 on the ice and came to a stop, and I was absolutely terrified. And I said, David, what is your problem? <laughs> You are you you really need some counseling. You've got you've got anger issues. I mean, I am not going to pay the price for your problems. I'm, and I'm sitting there trying to pour the vodka into my so I can function that night. And I I look back on that moment and I think, oh, you know, God bless him for being in my life because he was wise and I mean I and he was patient and he was loving and uh, he was a. It was amazing. But anyway, yeah, that's where I was at. Nothing was my fault. Nothing was my responsibility. Um, It was everyone else. And I was also totally normal, totally normal, right from the start. I mean, I didn't feel any different from anybody else. I mean, when I was at a keg party, there were hundreds of people around getting sloshed with me. When I was at the bar catching the last set at 4 in the morning, dancing on the tables or nudging someone out of the way and starting a fight with them because they were taking my spot in front of the band, I mean, you know, everybody did that. When I was at weddings and we were falling around, uh, I love that letter that somebody read. Was that this weekend? Oh, my gosh, the letter about the damage at the wedding. Oh, my gosh. I thought everybody fell into the cake, you know. it's just It was just my perception. It is a disease of perception. And, um, and it's only when I sobered up and went to a wedding, and I went, oh, my gosh, not everybody acts like that. I saw that small crowd in the corner, that, you know, handful of people next to the open bar, and everyone else was socializing and wishing the bride well. And, and there was that group back there. Ah, free booze. And, and I realized that that was me. That was me. And not every, that was a small handful of the, of the wedding guests. Not, not, not everybody. It's amazing how your perception clears up when you go through the doors and you look back. It's like, oh. Um, yeah, I was totally normal. Everybody passes out and falls in the snow, and thankfully someone's kicks you over and so you don't asphyxiate yourself in the snow after you've passed out. And everybody wakes up to people they have no idea who they are and where your car was and what did I do last night. I love the sharing about trying to figure out, okay, what did I do and how can you ask without letting them know that you know that you don't know that, you know. I mean, I, I thought everybody acted that way, really. I did. I thought I was absolutely normal. Um, and I went through a pregnancy and I didn't drink for nine months. See, that was absolute proof at that point that I was, I did not have a drink. I wouldn't even use the word alcoholic. I didn't even, that didn't even enter my mind, but I thought I might tie one on every now and then and need to tighten up my drinking a bit and try a little harder, you know, to be, you know, more tame. But, um, but I, I didn't drink for nine months, and that was proof to me that I was normal. But, you know, the funny thing is, when you ask other people who are pregnant, whether they really, where they, you know, you don't drink alcohol when you're pregnant because that's just the best thing for the baby and it's not a big deal. Nobody really obsesses about it. It was a major um, 
kind of proof. It's like a, yes, I did it. But not, not a normal person doesn't do that. They don't try not to drink for nine months. They, it's just the thing you don't do. And, um, and I thought that that was proof that I was not, I didn't have a problem. And then when I had that baby, I got back to the scotch on the rocks right away. And then my mind told me that it was okay to breastfeed when you drank scotch on the rocks because it helped them sleep. It's, I had a very sleepy baby. He was great. Um, you know, I, I, you're, you're, the, the secret weapon gets going again, starts, starts telling you and rationalizing and saying, this is normal. This is okay to drink scotch on the rocks and nurse your baby. It's only a little bit goes through, blah, blah, blah. You know, doctors even tell you to do that. Um, anyway, yeah, I was totally normal. Um, it, it couldn't distinguish the true from the false. Had no idea. Um, so how did I get here? Um, I was 37. I was married. Um, I had a nice home. I had a good husband, a beautiful baby, um, and I was absolutely miserable, absolutely miserable. And I went to a counselor. This is what we do. We try to find the answer. We go to a shrink, okay? They'll tell us. They'll, they'll figure it out for us. Uh, and I'd been to about three before that. Of course, I'd never told them the truth. <laughs> so how can I be helpful to you if you can? Um, yeah, and this, this lady was very, I don't know whether she was one of us or she had a family, uh, member, but she was very tuned in to the alcoholic because, she, I, you know, I was in her office and I was talking about my mom's drinking and how she was ruining my life at the age of 37. And um, <laughs> and all of a sudden the conversation turned to me and my drinking. And I was as honest as we are, modified truth. I, I, on my court-ordered test thing for my DWI, I'm, I, was, I spun up quite a tale, and they still told me way back in the, eight, in the early 80s that I had a drinking problem. But I had all kinds of explanations for that. They didn't know what they were talking about. Um, but here we are in 98, and I'm sitting in this woman's office, and, um, and she said, well, you know, and she just knew us. Because if she knew, she knew that if she said A, I would, I, would, I would do B, just because she said A. And she said, and I was talking about how I'm this intellectual person and this analytical person, and I need proof for things, you know. I wish there was some tangible way I could assess and really tell whether I have a drinking problem or not. I still wasn't using the A word. And um, and she said, well, I just happen to have a little test in my file cabinet here. Now, you can take it or leave it. It may be helpful to you. It may not. Um, and I was like, oh, great. <laughs> you know, I, wasn't, I wasn't expecting to be called on the carpet. She put it in front of me, and she said, now, don't think too hard. She knows that if she gives an alcoholic enough time, we're going to create what we want to create. You know, we'll do our best spinning. And um, and I took that test, and I and I was as honest as I could be at the time. And she said, well, Jennifer, you can just take this or leave it, but if you score a 5 or above, you have alcoholic tendencies, and you scored a 21. And I went, oh, my God. So I had a weird kind of moment there where, on one hand, I was totally relieved. I just, this was my moment. I had various things happen to me over the last two years before that that were kind of like flags or little seeds planted in my head, people sobering up, sitting in the doctor's office and the pediatrician's office with my baby, feeling self-conscious that I had beer breath in the middle of the afternoon, not, not really focusing on the fact that I just took my baby in the car and tooled over with a buzz. You know, something was wrong there, though, and I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And um, so I was sitting there, and I felt such relief. I was like, oh, my God, this is it. This is an explanation for all the 
the stupid, idiotic things I've done all my life. Maybe this is an explanation for why I'm nuts. Maybe this is why I, I, I can't seem to do the right thing, no matter what, no matter what's at stake, no matter what I'm losing, no matter how hard I try, how much I'm thinking about what to do. Uh, I can't do the right thing, and this might be an explanation for it. I didn't know much about alcoholism, but it was the first new thing that had, that had been introduced to me, and I felt total relief that there may be an explanation. And at the same time, I was thinking, oh, great. I have this now on top of all my other problems. I'm, my life is totally unmanageable at this point, and I don't know why, and I don't know how to fix it, and I've got all this, these problems in these different areas of my life. I'm absolutely miserable. And now I'm a freaking alcoholic, too. <laughs> and I have to go to these stupid meetings, which, of course, I went to back in the 80s when I was court-ordered. I was one of those people that went, I'm Jennifer, and I'm here because the court made me. Go ahead with your meetings, smoking, laughing, hugging, drinking coffee. I'm like, oh, this is just great. And, um, and so here we are 15 years later, 15 years later, I'm saying, great, now I have to make room for those stupid meetings, and I, you know, oh, and I'm never going to have any fun for the rest of my life. How in the world do you celebrate New Year's Eve? How in the world do you go to a wedding? How in the world do you fill in the blank? And um, so I was really bummed. But you know what I, 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 I figured out pretty quick once I started going to those meetings that the unmanageability in my life and all the things that were burying me were related to my alcoholism. Oh. Imagine that. It was all tied in. And when I started attending to this illness, the rest of my problems came into focus and became manageable, and I was able to learn how to walk through them. And so, yeah, it was, at that moment I was pretty devastated, but I was also relieved. And I didn't go to treatment. I just I knew one woman in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I called her. I came home to my husband that day. I told somebody the story. Oh, honey, I'm an alcoholic. I can't believe it. And he's, I know, honey. <laughs> you know, he'd, he'd known for quite some time. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm, I'm hugging him and crying. Um, anyway, I've lost track of the time. Darn it. Okay, so I didn't go to treatment. I went to meetings and I went to some sharing meetings and, um, and heard myself. And I cried. I cried. I just sat there and cried and listened and. Um, they gave me a book and said, you better read this. I said, right, put it in the drawer. You might want to get a sponsor when you get comfortable, you know, get to know somebody, get a sponsor, right, right on it. And, uh, and I went to these meetings for a few months, and then we moved to, to uh, Minnesota. And I unpacked boxes for a while. And uh, somebody called me and said, you know, you better get yourself to a meeting. And I didn't want to do that. And, and I think this is one of those moments where I look back and I, I know the powers that be were kind of, nudging me because for some reason I found my phone in my hand one day and I called in a group and I said just give me the nearest meeting to my house and it became and, and they directed me to back to basics big book study which was less than five miles from my house and I walked in and um, prior to this about two or three weeks prior I had opened that book just once this book our textbook Alcoholics Anonymous and I was leafing through it for something relevant to me and I, I had to get all the way to chapter four to find something we agnostics, <laughs> because I was a very comfortable agnostic. You know, I was that educational, analytical, kind of know-it-all intellectual type. So I was comfortably agnostic. And so I said, oh, here's something that pertains to me. And I read three or four pages and immediately went to sleep. And when I walked into that meeting on Thursday night, that night, and a handful of people were on a table, 
I was late, of course, and um, started babbling because that's all I had done in the meeting so far. And then they read the announcement, or I think they may have even had me read the announcement about this is an in-depth big book study, and we'd like you to save all your personal stories and questions for the breaker after the meeting so that we all get the maximum benefit of our study. I'm like, oh, great. Well, <laughs> I blew that one right off the bat. But, but I went into that group, and they were on the pages that I had read. The only pages I had read in that book, they were on. They were on that chapter and those pages. And I got to sit in that meeting and listen to, like what somebody said earlier, these pages come alive in how they shared their understanding of what the first 100 were saying in those pages. And I just got something totally different out of it than that five or ten minutes in bed at home, going, oh, this is great, and put it down. And somebody reached out their hand and introduced themselves to me and asked me if I was new to the area and new to the program. And uh, within short order, I, I had a sponsor. You know, well, we'll we'll talk about it. I'll tell you what how I do it, and you can think about it. And if you're willing, I'm willing. And um, I think I tried the line. Well, I want to get to know people and get comfortable. And <laughs> and she said, Well, we, I can show you. I can show you what I do, and I'll do it with you if you're willing. And I don't do temporary. So maybe you could be my temporary sponsor. You know, you don't want to get too committed too fast. Well, I don't really do temporary. You know, I'll share what I know and what I do, and if you're willing, I'm willing as long as it works. And uh, and she is my sponsor today. And and when I sponsor women today, I say, um, you know, I've got this experience that works for me, and and I'll sh I'll I'll share it with you if you're willing. Um, you're not going to want to do it, absolutely not. And I didn't want to do it, and it took I took my sweet time actually doing it. Um, I. I say, you know, if you haven't found anything better, we, 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 we've heard about those silver bullets and our great ideas, and until they're all done, we're not willing to do this stuff. I don't, this is not fun. This is scary. This is work. This is accountability. This is responsibility. This is growing up. And, and, you know, the first time I had a coffee job, I blew that off in my home group. I was assigned the coffee, the coffee job pretty quick, and I didn't show up one day, and they didn't have coffee on time. My sponsor called me and said, so, Jennifer... You, didn't, you weren't at the meeting. Well, you know, I figured someone would make it. Oh, well, Jennifer, guess how it works. When you have a job, a responsibility in your, your home group, and you're not going to be there, you have to get someone to cover you so that the coffee is made and that it's there for people. And, you know, these kind of things, it seems elementary now, but this, these are things I had to learn. I didn't know these things. I didn't really give a damn about anybody or anything except myself. So why would I be concerned about whether the coffee was made? Oh, someone will do it. So, you know, this, 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 when I wandered into this meeting, I started growing up. And this was, and I started working a program. My sponsor met with me on a regular basis and took me through the book a page at a time. And I was very impatient. Come on, come on, let's go, let's get going here. Why are we spending so much time talking about this? You know, and I learned, you know, and I learned to be patient and I learned to be open and, and willing. And I took some sabbaticals. I, I, uh, she met with me and worked with me as long as I was willing. And when I wasn't willing, she just let me go. And I'd sit and cringe at, across the table from her at our home group every, every week and know that I hadn't done what I was supposed to do. And when I got to my fourth step, I took months to do my fourth step. I don't recommend that. I really don't. Um, I'm jumping ahead here. But I, I, I tell people, okay. If you're ready to try something different, this is what you have to do. Put your own ideas in your back pocket, all of them, for at least a few months. 
And if you think you have to try them out one more time, fine. But if, if you're out of ideas, then my sponsor took me through and, and gave me something that I can work with and that works for me, and it's changed my life incredibly. So I can walk you through the same thing, and that's taking you through the book, sharing my home group, going to regular meetings every week, checking in with me every week. Um, when it says to do something, we do it. You've heard it all weekend. It's amazing that everybody else has the same experience I have. And, and uh, you know, as long as you're willing, I'm willing. It takes willingness to do what you don't want to do. And honesty as best you can. Um, I can't be helpful if I don't know what's going on. And, and an open mind, which is something that's really hard for us because I knew all the answers. Um, an open mind. And, and that's all you need to bring. And, and she just took me through. She, I mean, step one was pretty obvious. I, I, uh, my life was definitely unmanageable. And I understood that I, when, when, she, when she took me through the doctor's opinion, I knew that I was powerless over alcohol. Yes, I had that insane mind, and I had that reaction when that insane mind got me to take that drink thinking that it was going to be different, and I had the craving. Um, step two, I was an agnostic. I wasn't excited about that. And she pointed out in the book where it says that, you know, all you need to do is open your mind. And she, she, she was very clear about it. I was freaking out about the God thing. Can't do the God thing. Don't believe in God. So it's not going to work for me, right? Well, step two, she said, all you need to do is crack your mind open just a bit, just a bit to the possibility that something out there that you may not understand or have a strong d definition of will restore you to sanity, will do for you what, it, what, what that power has done for me. And, and look around at, the, for the, at these other people. You know, I'm Miss Proof, Miss Analytical. Well, I look around at the faces in these rooms, and I say, well, how did that happen? If, if it happened, it's like Ebby and, and Bill. Well, how did he get sober? He was as helpless as I was. How does this work? Something's up. So I may not understand what this power is. I may not have a definition for it, but if I'm just open to the possibility then, then there's hope for me. And that's how I took step two. Okay, I, I'll entertain the possibility that something beyond me that I have no understanding of a relationship with can restore me to sanity. I'll give you that much. And as the book says, it starts from there. And from there, something starts happening. And, and step three, you know, I thought I was supposed to be able to turn my will and my life over instantaneously. I can't do this. I'm in the driver's seat again. I'm in the driver's seat on a regular basis and I have to kick myself out with my tools. Well, it's not instantly turning your will and your life over. It's making the decision to turn your will and your life over. Three frogs on the log. One frog makes a decision to jump in the lake. How many frogs are on the log? Three. He just sat there and made a decision. But, but, what, but, but what, what, what the decision you're making is is the total commitment to follow through with the rest of the steps. How can I turn, how do I learn to turn my will and my life over to this power that I don't even understand? Oh, this is going to be fun. Well, my sponsor guided me through what had to be done to, to learn how to do that. You launch into vigorous action and you start an inventory and you do it by the book and you do the columns. And of course, I took a break there. I took a powder and thank God I didn't go out again, but I was stressing over launching into vigorous action for eight months or so, maybe even longer. But then I got in enough pain and discomfort that I came back, and, and uh, my sponsor still doesn't know why she was so patient with me. <laughs> but um, she came back, and she was willing to do a fist step with me. And, um, and that, that process see, of, going, of taking all the action that follows that decision is what has taught me how to turn my will and my life over to the power that, that has restored me to sanity. 
Um, and it's just an ongoing process. I did the I did the four step. I was shocked. I was not the person I thought I was. <laughs> I I gained a lot of valuable insight into character defects and patterns of behavior that I didn't even know I had. And in my fifth step, she tied it together with me. Um, she, oh, that sounds like that control thing again that you have, that perfection thing, that pride thing. You know, how am I supposed to let go of things I don't even know I have? That's why four and five are so critical. Because I got educated, not on what I do well. You know, I've heard people say, oh, let's pat ourselves on the back and evaluate our assets and our liabilities. Well, our assets aren't what got us here, you know. I need to get down to causes and conditions, things that have gotten me into this place of misery. So I learned, and it was a, that was a major humbling phase for me. I learned that I wasn't perfect. I learned that I was self-centered. I learned that I was selfish. I learned that I was grandiose. I didn't discover that I was self-seeking until about five years in, but, <laughs> you know, that's the beautiful thing about practicing these tools. Our character defects keep getting clearer, and they pop up like apples in a bin. When you, when you grab this one, another one pops up to the surface, and, oh, now we've got that one to deal with. So I did my fifth step, and, and then I, I was very aware of what I had to um, hand over, get willing to let go of and hand over in six and seven. And, that, frankly, those steps have been the hardest ones for me. Nothing changes if nothing changes. I mean, I, I know what my character defects are. I made a list. I made circles of humility. What, what draws you in the circle? What draws you out of the circle? The kind of behaviors and things. I, I, I stared at those things and I prayed, please take these away. These, everything that's blocking me from being helpful, because now I've got a purpose in life. What a gift that is. I'm, I never knew why I was here. I was totally confused. That's why I think it's so, so easy for some people to say, Forget it. Let's just check out. There's no purpose to this life. And now I've been given a purpose. So to be of maximum service to God and others, I have to let go of these character defects. But we love these character defects. They protect us. They make us feel good. They make us powerful. Well, that's not the kind of power I need. And I have really struggled with this. I've got a lot of ego and a lot of grandiosity and a lot of self-seeking. I still have that person in me that wants your love and your approval and my mom's love and my mom's approval um, instead of just embracing the, the essence of the St. Francis prayer and concentrating on what I can bring. I'm always so much better off when I concentrate on what I can bring to my relationships and not worry about how I look, like, like Ellie so, so excellently described. Um, I, I have to go back to six and seven a lot and, and be willing to practice the opposite. You know, we have our character defects, and then we, have, we learn the ideals across from those character defects. Well, what's being unselfish? What's being giving? What's, what's being humble? What does this really mean? And, and try to do... Try to practice those the best I can. I have to choose in a moment not to do the wrong thing and to do the right thing, whether I want to or not. That's the hard thing. I thought I would just be able to live my life on my terms and do whatever I want. If I didn't feel like doing it, I wouldn't have to do it. And I find that if I do the right thing, because it's the right thing, with no expectations, then I'm, I'm, I get everything that I was scrounging for all those years. Um, and when I came to my ninth step, um, my eighth and ninth step, I did that with my sponsor. I've, I'm still, I still have a lot of amends out there. I had several years of wreckage, and I'm all over the country, and I'm chipping away at those. 
I was told not to have any expectations. I'm not doing this to get a pat on the back or forgiveness. I'm doing this because I'm taking responsibility for my actions. And I don't go and apologize and say, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again. I go and I say, and I think we've heard this this weekend already, um, I recognize that this was inappropriate behavior and unprincipled behavior, and I want you to know that I now understand that. What can I do to make it right? And then I shut up and I listen. And to the best of my ability, I try to make it right with each person. And if I did the, if I did the harm in person, I'd do the amend in person, <laughs> whether I want to or not. No, no, no cheating with, with letters if I can do the face-to-face. Um, and I check with my sponsor before I do these amends so I'm on the right track and I'm on, I have the right motives. And um, they, they allow me to, to rebuild relationships and, and get square with life. I, it's, it's humbling. I need humility. I, I blow up in the post office. One of my recent amends, keeping current, one of my recent amends was, was flying off the handle in the post office and screaming at the guy over a AA function P.O. box. <laughs> oh, that was great. How attractive am I? What kind of, what read of the big book was I that day? Not a very good one. And I had to go and get that guy's schedule and then another woman who was also affected and the whole place was looking total terrible behavior. And I got to go and it, there was a pit in my stomach and I went and I found out those guys, what, what, what their schedule was. And I went and I went in behind the, the counter, and they took me into a place, and I, was, and I said, you know, I really have to apologize for, for that behavior. It was, it was uncalled for. It was rude. And it's, it's, it's not what I know today to be appropriate behavior. And I just wanted to let you know that I will do anything I can, besides being very respectful across the counter from you from now on. You know, let me know what I can do. And, and you know, that kind of thing... You know, they don't understand why you're there. They don't understand why you're making a big deal out of it. Oh, well, gee. But, um, but that's what keeps me uh, of maximum service to the people around me, that humility that I get, that reality check, um, really important. And, and, you know, how much time do I have? I've lost track. Am I coming close? <laughs> he doesn't know either. Great. Um, I... I just wanted to talk about 10, 11, and 12 really quickly. I fought inventory work for a long time. I just did not feel like I had to do it. And I'd run to my, I'd run to my sponsor every few months with my hair on fire. And she'd remind me that I'm not the, she's not the fire chief to put out my fire every time I decide that things are unmanageable. And what she's taught me is when, when we feel nuts in sobriety, and we definitely do, I do, you know, at times, we're human beings. Um, I have to step back and figure out what am I not doing that was suggested to me by this book, these first 100, and by my sponsor and her experience that works for her. What am I not doing? And at a certain point when I was in tears going, to my sponsor, she asked me what I wasn't doing. And what I wasn't doing is daily inventory. Our minds are so slick, even in sobriety. And what that daily inventory does is gives me an opportunity at least once a day to get honest with myself. And if I don't take that inventory at the end of that day and I wait until maybe two or three days later, all of a sudden that incident with my six-year-old where I was red in the face and grabbing his wrists and going, all of a sudden, if if I wait three days to reflect on my behavior in that moment, Oh, it wasn't that bad. He was really driving me nuts that day. He was pushing my buttons, but I handled it pretty well. 
You know, revisionist history. If I don't get honest every 24 hours, then I'm going to revise it and, and soft soap it. And so it's an opportunity to get honest with myself and humble myself every single day. Now, I don't do that. I can tell you right now, I don't do it every day yet. And I don't know why. It's the biggest gift in the world. Why do we fight these gifts? You know, we, we get so much... We get so much peace and centeredness and spirituality from doing these things that they tell us to do, and we fight them. I don't know why. But I do know that when I do do it on a regular basis and I stay honest and I stay humble, I, I even trying the best I can, sometimes I miss my bad behavior. And I will tell you that there was a point just a few months ago where the neighbor and I carpool together, and I had been an angry mom for weeks in the morning. I would just scream and just get so frustrated with my kids just trying to get them out the door. And I was inventorying on a regular basis and not seeing this. I, it just wasn't in there. It was like, oh, let's see, what kind of a day did I have? Do I have anything I need to make an amend for? Blah, blah, blah. And for some reason, I just wasn't looking at my behavior in the morning. It became normal. It became acceptable for some reason to treat my children like that every morning to the point where my neighbor comes to me one day and says, you know, I'm not comfortable carpooling with you anymore, and I'm worried about you. Now, this is just months ago, seven years into sobriety. I'm, I'm concerned about you, Jennifer. I know it's hard being a mom, and I, I see you're so angry that my kids aren't even comfortable to be in the car with you in the morning. And is there anything I can do? Wow, what a humbling moment for me. And you know what? I didn't get righteous. And I didn't get indignant, and I didn't get angry at her, which is what my typical mode would be as an alcoholic. How dare you? I looked at her, and I said, and this is God working. This is where God has brought me. I said, Gina, I thank you so much for that, for your honesty and for your care. And I'm so glad that you have put something in front of me that I really need to look at, that I've been missing. And I am just so sorry that I made your kids uncomfortable, and I'm going to take a look at this. And I, it just blew me right away. And I got to a place where, you know, now in the last few months, I've been able to make amends to her. I've been, I've been able to be helpful. You always get those opportunities to live that amend, live in the solution. And I've been helpful to her and her kids. And I've been uh, living proper behavior in the morning. I really had to struggle with that. And I, and I sought help, and I inventoried, and I talked about it with my sponsor. And um, we, we get those wake-up calls all through sobriety. That was a humbling experience. Um, so I have to keep diligently working on reflecting on my behavior and seeing what I've done right and seeing what I've done wrong and doing what I need to do about it. Um, step 11, sought through prayer and medica- medication. <laughs> isn't that a, isn't that, no, 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 that was, that was the former way. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> through, through prayer and meditation to improve my conscious contact with God. And I do get on my knees and I do, uh, uh, pray and get on my knees and, and get centered that way. But I don't spend enough time in the meditation. And just recently, here we are again, just recently, I have been listening to certain people and doing certain things, and I have just, it's just a breakthrough moment of um, what it means to be quiet and quiet that mind. You know, our alcoholic minds are just such a rival or such a challenge but what it means to me is, you know, I can pray, but I need to listen. And how do I do that? I've just, I, I, I walk around the pond, and I stay in the moment, and I look at, at, I listen to the birds, and I look at the sky, and I, and, you know, be still and know that I am God. You know, be still, be. 
and I, I'm quiet. I quiet that mind, and I just exist, and, and that's where I feel that power, you know, that I, you know, that's where you are just there, and you realize um, that you aren't alone. I don't define my higher power, but I just, it's, you have to learn to be quiet, and that's a big challenge for me. We, we give our sponsees homework assignments, and we usually tell them to call everybody else <laughs> and ask them questions. And I get women who call me, and they say, so how did you develop your relationship with your higher power? Well, gee, <laughs> that's a big question. I, you know, got crushed and, you know, found a sponsor, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, what they're asking is, how do I, how do I believe in this thing that we don't really know? It, it's hard to prove. It's not there. It's very nebulous. And so I found myself sharing just God moments with these people that, that told me that there was a God, there was something working in and around and through me and through you. And one of them was when I was home, and I wasn't very, it wasn't very, I must have been second, third year into sobriety. I, I didn't, I, I might not have even been done with the steps at that point. And I was home alone with two babies upstairs shaking a nap, and a boy, an 11-year-old boy came running to the door, all panicked, Knocked on my door. Listen, listen, I've got to get home. My kids, my, my, this was at the end of the school day. My brother's going to be coming home. I'm responsible for them. I have to get home. My bus didn't show up. And I'm like, well, do you want to use the phone? Well, no, I, I need to get home right now. And he had apparently run from the school in the, in the neighborhood to his grandparents' house, which was six or seven houses away, and they weren't home. So he came running to my door, of all doors, and I just went, oh, Okay, and I scooped up the babies and I put them in the car and I drove them and I, I got them in the car and I said, well, where do you live? And he started giving me directions and he turned to me and he said, I'm really scared. My mom just went to treatment and my parents are getting divorced and I don't know what to do about it. Now, of all the doors he could have run to, he ran to my door that afternoon and I just happened to be there with some experience. And, you know, 11-year-old boys aren't really known for opening up to strange women, you know. That was God that morning. And I was like, oh, my God. I was like, what are you, you know. And I got to sit there in that just for a 10-minute ride and just said, you know what, I've got experience with that. And I think if your mom is in treatment working on getting, getting some help, then that's a good thing. We have that same problem in our family. And, you know, I just, I don't even know what I said. I just said a few things that, that reassured him. And we ended up, I ended up meeting his mom, who ended up going to AA meetings in a, in a town next door. And she came by and met me. And, you know, I bought Christmas cards from him when they were selling Christmas cards for, so, you know, but just, I, when I got home from that ride, I just, I just, I just sank to the floor and started crying. I was like, that's God. That is the higher power. Working. That was my first incredible God moment where I knew that something out there was working beyond me. And um, so, and, and, and there are a lot of opportunities like that where God just puts things in front of you, and I've been taught that you just do them. You do whatever's right in front of you, including being of service when you don't want to be. Um, you know, my sponsor's an excellent example. Um, I was, at one point, I was like, oh, but I, what if I don't have time for all this stuff? And you just have to have faith that you just do whatever is in front of you. And if someone reaches out for help, you just do the best you can, and you don't think about it. And um, I, I, step 12, um, carrying the message and, and practicing these principles in all our affairs, it, just, it takes constant work. 
at the base level, not 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 letting up on on um, not thinking I'm above that daily inventory or getting to that meeting or whatever. And um, gosh, I just I, there's one more thing I want to say about service. I there was a story about a little boy who was, and again, this is. This is something that just slammed me right in the face when I heard this story. Apparently, it's a, a true story. I can't swear to that. But well, the impact that we have, willing to do what we don't want to do just because it's the right thing to do, because we're here to help each other, to be of service to our God, whoever that is, and, and each other. And when I do that, I am blessed a thousand times over. Um, a, a, a kid was coming home from school with all his locker contents, and it was spilling all over the all over the street. And another little boy came and helped him pick up his contents of his locker and put it back in his backpack and helped him get it home. And the two of them became fast friends. And when that little boy who had spilled everything on the floor became valedictorian and 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 was to give the speech at graduation, he turned and he thanked his now best friend for picking up those things off the ground for him and showing him some compassion. Because he had been bullied and he had been ostracized and he didn't have many friends in school. And that guy was was clearing out his locker that day because he was going to end his life that day. He had had it, just like a lot of us have had it. And that boy showed some compassion and some generosity and some support. And they became friends. And this guy went on to become valedictorian of his class. And he said, I thank that, that my friend because he saved my life that day just by taking a moment out of his day to be helpful to me because I was going to end my life that day and for that I'm grateful and so I would say um, this just by doing that kind of thing and putting myself in the back seat and just keeping just continuing to search for what my higher power would have me be as a mom as a sponsor as a sponsee as a fellow as a as a neighbor um, I have gotten everything I have gotten um, the ability to love, which I didn't have before. Um, I, 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 I go through fear. I, I have to find a job in the next couple of months. I'm terrified of that. I've been at home with my kids for eight years. I now get to contribute to my family in another way that needs to be done. And so I, I just put that in the God box the other day. I, God, I'm giving you my sponsees. Just help me be helpful to them. I'm giving you my, my fear of my job search. Just help me do what I need to do, and you take care of the rest. I'll find the job I need to have. Um, uh, my home group is going through big changes, and it's scary. And what's going to happen? Um, I put that in God's hands the other day. You know, I just have to show up and do the best I can according to the principles of this program. And you know what? My home group will be just fine, and it will be what it needs to be, and it will grow into whatever it needs to grow into. I'm not in charge, thank God, anymore. <laughs> Um, so I, my life is great, I, I, and I want to thank you guys for that because, um, after all, we shouldn't even be here, really. I, I, I was here. I don't know why I stayed alive, but I, I now know that it's because God had some plans for me that were beyond me, and, um, and the wonderful thing is that I get to feel full and happy and grateful and joy and when life smacks me upside the head, I just pick up those tools if I'm willing. And if I'm not, the pain will get me to pick them up eventually. And I march on. And, um, God, it's just an amazing thing. It's just an amazing thing. And I am just so psyched that I am alive and I am sober and that I'm here sharing the same experience that all of you guys shared over the weekend. Um, so thanks very, very much. I'm, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be alive and sober. Thanks.
Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.